And I did it because I used an alter ego when I played sports. Um, his name was Geronimo. And then when I got into business, I was so insecure about how young I looked and my inexperience that it was preventing me from going out and actually launching this business. I was good at coaching. I was already good at that craft. But as we know in entrepreneurship or being a CEO, there's so many hats that you wear and all it takes is the insecurity of putting on one of those hats that can crumble something. So I built Super Richard, who was the advocate for Todd's stuff. He was the promoter. He was the salesperson. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Hi, Todd, and welcome to the show. Richard, it's great to be here. And unfortunately, I'm going to sound like I'm the not wiser of the two here because you have the luxury of that uh, British accent. So I always have to play second fiddle to something. Well, for me, it's normal, right? So <laughs> I'll say British accent is more like a Hollywood villain in, in my books. Or um, even if you're an alien, you're a British alien. But actually, there is another advantage that I found out in one of your books about, or your book, uh, The Alter Ego Effect. Um, that actually the name Richard means that I'm incredibly intelligent, right? You are incredibly intelligent. So, um, uh, so to the listener, my first name is actually Richard, but, uh, and don't ever do this to your kids if you're young enough to not have kids yet, but, uh, giving your kid a first name that you don't intend on calling them because they always wanted to call me Todd, but it is, I mean, I've lived in seven countries around the world. And when you're immigrating into other countries, it is a pain in the butt when you've got a lot of documentation from your original country that says Todd Herman or Richard Todd Herman or Richard T. Herman or R. Todd Herman, which is what I had growing up. They start asking you like, okay, well, which, which of these people are you? And they start investigating you a lot more. So anyways, yes, Super Richard was my alter ego that I built out for myself when I started in business. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get into this. Yeah, I, I didn't realize your name was actually Richard because I did remember that you had this alter ego of Richard, right? Which was the intelligent kind of uh, alter ego, which we can perhaps get into. On that point, though, of don't give your kid the their usual use name as their second name. It's fascinating. Fascinating. My um, my father remarried when my mother died, and um, that's a bunch of kids um, from from you know, from her marriage, and. We went to the wedding of one of the kids just last last year. Um, what we didn't realize was that, well, since university, he's used his first name, not the second name, which the family call him. Because So he had a family, traditional family name that was given to him. When his father died, he said, why don't you have my dad's name? Because it's my name as well. I want to use it. So he went to university, adopted this name. So we all knew him as Chris. We went to this wedding or this, this wedding party, you know, and like half... I congregated half the people knew him as John and we were like, who's John? <laughs> Until we realized it was the same person. So it does get confusing. Anyway, let's get on to, let's get this dive into the alter ego. We've been teasing the listener probably at this point by what, what's all this stuff about Super Richard. So um, I know you do a multitude of different things. You're an entrepreneur uh, in your own right. You've got various courses, programs, software applications. You've written a book, right, as well. And I know you coach very high-end uh, executives and athletes and, and performers. 
So to tell us about like within that mix, the alter ego effect, it sounds like a bit weird. Um, and you know, where does that fit in the mix? And, and you know, why did you make the effort of writing the whole book on that? Yeah, it's one of these unconventional ideas that is actually the most conventional way in many ways to help someone transform. And so um, to go way back, I had started in 1997 a peak performance and mental game coaching company. Um, I was very young at the time. I was only 21, but I was a college football player. I was a nationally ranked badminton player. I was a good athlete, despite I'm not, I'm not physically gifted. I'm not six foot four and 245 pounds of solid muscle or something like that. But my strength was more my mental game and my attitude. And when I got done playing, I started, um, you know, volunteering coaching, like anyone who loves sports would want to go and do. And I started teaching the kids kind of more my process that I would get into to play in kind of a flow state in a game. And um, kids started getting great results and parents started asking me if I could mentor. So I started this business. So I'm a very big believer in mentorship and apprenticeship. Uh, I My entire career is standing on the shoulders of people that were the best at their craft. In fact, when I was leaving, I grew up on a big farm and ranch in Canada originally. And when I was leaving the farm and ranch, my parents knew that I wasn't going to be coming back and uh, taking over anything because I had older brothers who are far more equipped at doing that. And uh, they just said, like, listen, hopefully we've prepared yourself or prepared you for for life with, you know, character traits and integrity traits and and whatnot. But we're probably not going to be able to help you out much with whatever your career is. So just promise us that whatever you go and do, try and find who's the best at it and tuck yourself under their wing. And one of the big reasons why they said that was because I had such a big ego as a kid, not in a really toxic way, but it was just, I was a lot of times ignorantly overly confident, which is a very helpful thing if you're an entrepreneur. It's like, it's actually quite helpful that you don't know enough of what's going to be in front of you. Yeah. Blind ignorance is the best strategy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's, especially as an entrepreneur, when you were just starting out or when you're trying to pursue big things, because you're like, man, if I knew all the stuff I had to go through, I probably would not have done it. So they had given me just one of the best pieces of advice that's out there. And so I say I'm standing on the shoulders of others because I started reaching out to people who are had careers that were now at their probably zenith or at their end. And I would reach out and say, listen, like I've got this fledgling little mental game coaching company. You're like the giant of the industry. This guy was Harvey Dorfman. He wrote literally the Bible of the industry called Coaching the Mental Game and uh, managed to kind of tuck my way into spending 33 days with him at his home in North Carolina during the base, during the major league baseball offseason. Why did you just throw down on that? Let's just zoom in. How did you do that? I mean, Matt, you know, he's, he's yeah, like that. I mean, how did you, you know, manage to get his, on his radar in that way? So right now I'm doing a terrible job of answering your very first question, which is how the alter, but all of this sort of backstory. Okay. So how did I do it? I did it by really, it was born out of frustration. And I think most things for a lot of us are born out of frustration. So here I was, I was about two and a half years into the mental game business. I was doing all this research in psychology books um, kinesiology books. Like I was looking at all the different disciplines around human performance. I wasn't just sticking to psychology, but the psychology world really frustrated me because I found that as a practitioner that's on the field with people every day, trying to help them perform and get better and move through challenges and issues, I found a lot of their stuff very theoretical and it just didn't, it broke under the weight of application. So I was kind of frustrated. And then I found Harvey's book and I was like, oh, wow, here's someone who's uh, speaks in a plain speaking language, um, gives it to you straight, 
And it just really resonated with me. So I just reached out and and just was, this was December of uh, 2000 and, or sorry, 1999. And I said, uh, hey, Harvey, um, we've never had the pleasure of meeting before, but I've been launching a peak performance and mental game coaching company for the last couple of years. And I found your book and it's the only one that resonates with me. And um, I'm sure you have another book you'd like to write. And I'd like to just volunteer to come in and help you out, take up your administration or whatever. Um, it was it was a bit of a, a long voicemail accompanied by email, which was pretty new at the time even to reach out to someone with. So anyways, he called me back two days later. So the real gift, I mean, that's really the, the, the answer is you, yeah, you, you entered to his service. You said, what can I do to serve you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So we, we can just put the brackets around that and go back to the, to the question, but I think it's just worth throwing it out because. Yeah, no, so he, so he called me back and yeah. So he called me back and he was like, okay, kid, like you don't want to live with me, do you? That's were literally his first words. And I said, no, I don't want to live with you. I've got an aunt and uncle who live close to you, but I can stay with them, which was a complete lie. Um, I ended up staying at a motel six for $28 and 50 cents, since. $28.50 a night. And I maxed out my credit card doing it because I wasn't really making that much money. I was busy, but I wasn't charging a lot of money. So I spend that 33 days with Harvey. He's working with the best athletes in the world. I get to see how the best mental game guys working with the best athletes. It was a complete masterclass. It would have taken me 15 years to learn that. And afterward, Harvey started funneling me pro athlete clients. So that's really how I broke into the pro athlete ranks was through Harvey which gets to the alter ego thing. So as I'm now working with better and better quality athletes, this common thread was kind of revealing itself and it would come in the form of, you know, you saying to me, you don't, you don't talk. Cause again, this is very private coaching. This is me between the six inches of people's ears that are operating at the highest level. And it would say, you know, talk like when I go on the field, I actually have a persona that I go into, or I have this alter ego, or I have this kind of identity that I have that I step into. And when I, would look at the data. It was just the way that one person said, it. I was like, wait a second, a bunch of dominoes toppled in my head. I'm like, this is an actual thing. It's not just like a gimmick that someone's using. I think this is an actual device. Like it's a tool. And I did it because I used an alter ego when I played sports. Um, his name was Geronimo. And then when I got into business, I was so insecure about how young I looked and my inexperience that it was preventing me from going out and actually launching this business. I was good at coaching. I was already good at that craft. But as we know, in entrepreneurship or being a CEO, there's so many hats that you wear. And all it takes is the insecurity of putting on one of those hats that can crumble something. So I built Super Richard, who was the advocate for Todd's stuff. He was the promoter. He was the salesperson. That's what helped me move through my insecurities. So I started interviewing all my clients and saying, okay, well, how do you get into the alter ego? Like, what's your process? And I started to build out this method and I became as the alter ego guy. Um, and very early in that process, I, I met Kobe Bryant, who got introduced to me through Harvey um, when Kobe was going through a really trying experience. And so I built out the Black Mamba with Kobe Bryant. And that was, as you could say, a little bit of history because a few people found out about that. My name sort of skyrocketed in the sports world and I built the largest mental game coaching company in the world and I sold it to Real Madrid. And so alter egos are this device, Cicero named it. He said, it's the other eye or trusted friend within. He's the first person who actually coined the term alter ego back in 44 BC. And that's been my experience is you and I both know how important it is and anyone listening to have great peers and friends and mentors and you know allies around you. 
But that very intimate place between the six inches of people's ears, people have sort of left it as an undiscovered country for themselves. And so I help people build out allies within themselves to help them move through life with a lot more grace, maybe some more playfulness, but at the exact same time, always improving their performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, so get a bit practical when you want to play a bigger game, you've probably been through it yourself, up leveling yourself and what do you want to be, be up to in the world? You know, do you, would you still draw on that yourself? And like, so just thinking practically for, for a listener, like you know, practically what could, how can they start to use this, this idea uh, at the beginning, you know, beginner stages, how do they start to like get some value out of, out of this idea of having an alter ego? The great thing about it is everyone that's listening has already played with this idea. So it's already a known entity within you. Um, just recognize that because we as kids um, will always use this as uh, a method to be playful. And it's because at, the, at our young ages, there is no sense of myself until about the age of eight when some uh, development starts to happen in the frontal lobe area of the brain is only is the time when people start to develop this idea of me, my stuff, my identity, who I am. Um, and I can see it right now because I've got three little kids that are six, eight, and 10. And I've seen that metamorphosis from all of them. And so you've already played with this idea, you know, being your favorite superhero, being your favorite, you know, footballer on the field when you want to go and score the goal against your brother, sister, you know, buddies. So you already played with the idea. So the practical side of this is it's always in the context of a role that you have in life. You don't build an alter ego for your entire life because that's actually a trap. It's actually one of the things that would cause the highest rates of anxiety, depression, or mental health disorders. If you see yourself as having one identity, whether you use an alter ego or not, it has nothing to do with alter egos. If you see yourself as having only one identity, you're actually grinding the gears up in your head. That's not an appropriate way of looking at life. One of the things I, I immediately rings a bell whenever a client you know, says, you know, the thing about me is that I am, and then make some declarative statement about who they are or what kind of person they are. I immediately push back on that because that's, you know, or when they say the truth of the situation is and they tell me something, it's obviously not the truth of the situation, right? It's always their story that they're telling themselves. And so but when, it's, when you apply it to yourself, I think you're right, it's really dangerous because you suddenly box yourself in yep. um, almost as a matter of principle. It's self-sealing logic is what it is. It's self-sealing. And so, and you just hit on one of the, one of the reasons that this works so well is it's inviting you into a new story. That's what the alter ego encapsulates is a new story. And because we're meaning making machines, we are storytelling, we are narrative making machines. Most people just aren't very good at picking up a pen themselves and writing a new story. And because 70% of our brain is dedicated to the visual cortex, when someone says, oh, I'm trying to like, you know, um, be my best self, or I'm trying to grow into a better person. If you don't give yourself a really clear picture or a model of what that looks like, you're going to have a very difficult time realizing it. Just like, let's just relate this back to projects. Okay. Because we all understand that inside of businesses. If you tell your team, Hey, I want our website redesigned, go do that. All right. Good luck with getting a good result from that. But if you say, hey, I love this website, specifically, I like the header area there. And then I like this body copy that they have right here. And then I like how they do their footer on this website over here. So here's the three sources of inspiration. Can you create ours to look like that? The moment you give them the picture, it's so much more easier to execute and the likelihood that you get what you want 
is gone way up. Well, it works the same way with our own identities. So to go back to the question, how do we practically apply this? Think of a role or an area of your life where you have the most friction. It could be um, the most frustration that you've got right now in your performance or the world that you're living in in that world is challenging or frustrating, or it's just not fun. You're avoiding things, maybe. So that could be as the CEO or manager. It could be in sales or promotion. It could be, you know what? I want to produce more content and build up more thought leadership for myself, but I'm not producing anything. Or it could be, you know what? I'm not the best mom or dad when I go home from work. I have a hard time switching it off, which speaking to like YPO people, EO people around the world. So, you know, CEOs, that's been typically a place where a lot of people will build an alter ego is actually as a dad or as a husband or a wife or a mom. So it's always in one role because then it's easy to find a source of inspiration for it. And then you take a look at, well, what are the traits that I want? What are the qualities and the attributes for what I would like to bring to that role in my life? And then a question that goes along with it would be, well, is there anyone that already has that, that you're inspired by? Could be fictional characters, could be movie characters, could be superheroes, could be people from your past, could be animals. The sources of inspiration are unlimited or you just invent it from scratch. So going back to Super Richard, so here I was, I was indecisive. I was not being very articulate with kind of explaining what, what I did. And I was not confident as all, at all. I was insecure. So I invited in a new ally, which was the composite of Benjamin Franklin, Superman, and Joseph Campbell, three of my heroes. Specifically from Benjamin Franklin is his confidence. The man had seven phenomenal careers in his lifetime. Like no one was a better shapeshifter probably than Benjamin Franklin. And then, you know, Superman's entire moniker is he's the man of action. So decisiveness, taking action and doing something. And then Joseph Campbell was just so articulate, explaining mythologies and storytelling through history and legends. I just, I just really was inspired by him. So those became my three source codes of inspiration for who I was using as a model in my mind of what I was trying to become. And then going to the, the, the final phase of this is we have a psychological phenomenon that goes inside of the human mind called enclosed cognition. And my entire businesses have been built on the back of, I like finding real science to explain performance to people. Most people are doing things that run counter to the way that the human experience really operates. They're doing making things harder than they need to. So I like to grease the slide for people. So enclosed cognition is that we as human beings, we attach stories and meanings to our artifacts and clothing. Now, the crazy thing is though, is when you put on those things, you enclose your mind in the cognitive traits of whatever that story is. So if I got you to put on a doctor's coat or a lab coat, Here's what the studies will show. You will enclose yourself in the cognitive traits of being more methodical, detailed, careful, and sort of smart. So if you were doing an activity that involved the needs of those cognitive traits, you're going to do them better naturally. It's going to just naturally come up. There's no acting with it even. So when we're designing out the model alter ego or identity for someone, I want to get people to find a uniform, an artifact, something they put on. So you're referencing it, talking about in the book, how I put on a pair of glasses. So I bought a pair of glasses 
long before <laughs> wearing glasses was sort of a, a fashion statement like it is now. Um, even the idea of convince the optometrist to buy, sell them to me because I didn't need glasses. They were just you know clear lenses. There was nothing in them. But when I put them on, I was stepping into Super Richard, which was these glasses housed the cognitive traits and abilities of Benjamin Franklin, Superman, and Joseph Campbell. And when I put those on, that's what I was becoming. And um, again, we already do this naturally as human beings. When people put on a uniform or a, a Halloween costume, you start to act a bit differently. Well, that should be a signal to most people that that's maybe something that's natural within us. And I'm just giving people an intentional model to do it that reveals the sides of you or the parts of you or brings out of you character traits and abilities that you actually want to help you win in that field. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to introduce you to two transformative programs that we run. The first is Rivendell, my exclusive group of top CEOs who are committed to transforming themselves, their businesses and the world. It's an incredible peer group and a deep coaching experience that will push you to new heights, no matter how successful you've already been. The second is Impact Accelerator, a coaching program for executives who are ready to make a big leap forward in their own leadership. It's regularly described as life-changing and no other program provides such personal strategic clarity, a measurable shift in stakeholder perceptions and a world-class leadership development environment. Find out about both of these programs at xquadrant.com slash services. Now back to the conversation. It's amazing, isn't it? Because we'd think that we were above such things. It feels a bit gimmicky, right? On one level. So do, do you, would, you, would you still do that uh, even, even today? Do you use that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a good example. Um, it's pinned on my, uh, on my Twitter um, handle, Todd underscore Herman. It's a post from a few years ago when I was on the NBC Today show. So my book is out now. It's a few months into it. It's gone viral in whatever ways that it's gone viral. And so I get on this, you know, one of the top morning shows in all of America. And I already done a bunch of media. And my wife had said to me, she's like, listen, like your interviews have been great, but this kind of like really playful fun side of you hasn't been coming out in your interviews. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And and so I thought about, because I'd always go on with a blazer and my button up shirt and, you know, pocket square and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what, let's switch it up a bit. And so I went on with just a uh, kind of a, a knit golf shirt type of thing. And then I was like, well, who already embodies the kind of traits of someone who's like really fun and playful? Because this is daytime television. And I'm like, well, I really like the way that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman show up. Like they're fun. They're like even their body language and, and everything. So I kind of, I watched a few clips of theirs because this is actually how human beings naturally learn is by modeling other people. And so we think to your point, oh, well, that's below me or that's beneath me. And it's like, well, now you're fixed. You're, you're really stuck. You're actually not accessing what I think is our real superpowers, human beings, which is our creative imagination. You keep on flexing the same identity every single day thinking, well, that's me. Just like you had said before, when a CEO says, well, I am, what you need to know about me is I am. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> that's been a useful mechanism for you, but is it really you? And by the way, there's no such thing as a you because I can't put you under a microscope and find a you. There's no you-ness in there. There's energy, 
there's possibility. And so I like try to break some of those frames for people. Anyway, so my alter ego inspiration for that interview and subsequent interviews was Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds. And um, immediately after that interview was done, two executive producers from the show came down to the set because there was a bit of a mix up with the teleprompter, but I carried it through and nailed all the points and stuff. They came through and said, you've got a clean slate of invitations. You can come back whenever you want. That's, that segment was brilliant. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. And I can anchor that to the fact that I just brought a different energy to that than I did some of the other interviews. So absolutely. I, it's not, I don't want to get stuck in thinking that, oh, I'm matured now and now I'm a finished product of perfection. I'll never be that. Yeah. Yeah. It's back to the toolbox. I am. Uh, yeah. I have a, it's basically the same thing, although I, I, um, I don't describe it as quite in your trigo terms, but it's pretty close. I think, um, I have one of my favorite, uh, artists, you know, um, is Queen, right? That rock band Queen and got me into, you know, electric guitar. Um, I'm a total Queen geek, right? And my, I've now managed to pass it on to my kids, which is annoying my wife, but really pleasing me deeply. Um, but I realized one of the things I love about Queen or you know, about Freddie Mercury is that he was able to embody his message and like communicate it to the back of the stadium and land it. And he can be as outrageous as he wanted to, but he owned it. And so I have this, you know, mental uh, or this idea of, you know, releasing my inner Freddie Mercury, right? Basically the same thing, right? So I'm just like, okay, like, how am I going to like land that message so that you absolutely hear it? You you know that I'm fully embodying it, and I, you know, and I'm I can be I can be ridiculous, I do ridiculous things as a result because, well, I, that's what you're doing to communicate a message, right? It, it's not about you, you know, or me and. Is that going to be silly or not? Uh, and I find that when I, I harness that, that's definitely a side of me, which is a powerful side. And so question for you then, Richard, because you've leaned into that more, how has that affected other areas or other roles in your life? Like, because you kind of lean into that kind of creative expression, that's kind of, because I mean, Freddie Mercury, I mean, boy, you talk about a free of someone who is free of expression or free to express themselves. So how has that then translated into other roles and areas of your life? Yeah, well, I would say for stuff for a while, you know, it was like I didn't realize that you could bring them together. But now, yeah, I mean, that's a tool, you know, which I use often, I, I think. You know, um, I've just been experimenting with exactly what, what you said. It's easy not to bring the playful side out of yourself because we, you know, we're serious about what we want to do. We want to make a difference. Um, we're also working with high achievers who, um, need to know that we've got some credentials and gravitas behind us. And yet the thing I'm really, you know, my range is, is about playing with that. It's like, yeah, well, you know, if you want me to, I'll be you know, dead serious and you're running a multi-billion dollar company and I know that I can, you know, help rock your world and I want to be able to like be really stupid and not care about it, right? Because I'm in, in service of breaking through pattern disruption, you know, like trying to get people to think again, right? But you have to be able to bring that, that, that to it. And I think that's, for me, that reconciling what people, what my friends said, Richard, why don't you bring this stuff, this kind of slightly zany part of you into this stuff that we see you doing over here? Um, that's been a bit of a journey, if I'm frank. Yeah, I mean, but that's been my experience with this, you know, playing, helping to shape and form people's 
different senses of their selves is that nothing ever stays in like complete isolation within us. So the moment I become more playful, fun, creative, you know, whether it's gregarious or whatever, as a media type personality, that because I'm drawing out those qualities, I'm drawing out those attributes, and I'm now seeing them be performed on the field of play, that feedback loop that gets closed when I see myself do that changes my interpretation of myself. Spends the range, right? It spends range. Yeah, and you're exactly. It's the range of it. And actually, this is what Carl Jung talked about. You know, if someone's not familiar with, you know, Jungian psychology, Carl Jung came up with the concept of the 12 different archetypes that human beings will sort of narratively live through. So one of my archetypes is that of a ruler archetype. And a ruler archetype is someone who, when you're in the like positive energy of it, you want prosperity for really everyone in the land. You know, it's the king, the queen, the, the, the CEO, the, um, whatever that wants, they really want everyone to be prosperous. That's what a ruler's genuine want is. But on the shadow side of that is when your ruler gets triggered, then it's like, you're going to try and control everything. So I'm mindful of that, but that's not everything that I am. There's also on the other ends of that spectrum is the someone who's called the realist or the every man or every woman. Um, you know, think of them like the carpenter or the, so like they're, you know, blue jeans and, you know, flannel shirt kind of thing as a archetype. Well, what Carl Jung talked about is you become whole as a human being when you can unpack all of the different archetypes. And so that's why I say like, you know, hearing your journey is when, cause that's kind of leaning into the magician because Freddie Mercury is more of the magician archetype or the jester archetype in some way, or the revolutionary archetype. It's going to automatically just make you more whole. It's going to free you more because you've got different traits to play with, which is going to make you an even better coach and leader and mentor and advisor to other people. And it starts to invite those people because again, like you had said, working with billion dollar, I mean, I've done that. I've worked with multi-billionaires and they can get really stuck sometimes into a certain sense of who they are and what they need to be. And I like to go in there and crack that stuff open for them and kind of allow them to see different sides of themselves, which then only makes them a better influencer, a better leader to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Let's just quickly dig in a little bit deeper there. What, you know, why do you do what you do? Right. We talked a bit, of, a bit about this before we, we, we started recording, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what's the motivator for you at this point in your career? Cause you've done various things, right? I mean, you sold your, your, your successful sports coaching company to do other stuff. So why are you on this particular journey at this particular point in your life? Well, you would ask the question like, why did I end up writing the book? Well, the reason I waited, I was asked to write the book in 2004, shortly after I had worked with Kobe. And again, that was very private because one of the things that scaled up my company was I was, I never shared who I worked with. I always signed an NDA with all of my um, private professional clients because everyone wants something from them. And I was the first one to say, no, I'll never say that I'm working with you because I'm not going to use your name. But if you could just in those private conversations, when you have a teammate or a friend that's struggling, give them my name. And so I built it entirely on the back of referability. And when you get to the highest levels of any industry, that's kind of where the decisions are made anyway. Two CEOs talking while they're at the tennis club or they're at some sort of an event and they're struggling with something to say, hey, you know what? You need to reach out to my guy, Richard. Um, he's Medcalf is just, he's got the stuff. That's how it happens. 
So I was asked, but I knew that Ilter Ego stuff was kind of my secret sauce. So I didn't release it because I didn't really want my competitors to have it. Um, and then I finally wrote it. And so you ask the question like, why do I, why do I do it? Well, after you've built tens of thousands of alter egos for people, and then you see the transformation that's on the other side of it, and you see how fast you can do it. Because the moment you change someone at the identity level, because beliefs, attitudes, habits, behaviors are all stock, stacked on top of how you see yourself, which is the identity. Well, if I can change the identity of someone, well, all that other stuff just changes naturally with it. So instead of me going and attacking someone's beliefs and trying to work with them there, which is what I call the spider's web of the mind, the moment you pluck a belief, boom, that tarantula just jumps on you and that tarantula is resistance. It's going to try because that's where you get all the like narrative of, well, that's just who I am. That's the way I was born. That's my nature. That's my, I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop giving me all the reasons why you can't do it because here's a thousand others of why you can do it. So that has been, you know, one of the driving forces, but originally in kind of its kind of core crystallized beating heart of why I do it is because it's the thing that saved my life. Um, I was, uh, and I'm very open about this. I was um, sexually abused and raped as a, as a young boy at a church camp when I was 13 and by two men kind of held captive over the course of a couple of days. You know, in that I was a very innocent kid. I would grow up with phenomenal parents, great family, farm and ranch, simple, like great life. And so that shattered a lot of my sense of who I was and, you know, that, and I didn't tell anybody about it for 30 years until just a few years ago, frankly. So lived with all that. And for me, it was a way of, I still had within me this desire to want to make an impact in the world, but I battled that, like I battled suicide at three different suicide attempts when I was young. And even when I came home from that church camp, I tried to drown myself in my family's pool when I was, you know, 12 years old and something, you know, I couldn't do it. And then a couple of other occasions. So, you know, mental health challenges like depression, but this creative imagination was the thing that kind of kept me going. Like I could, I could kind of disassociate a bit from Todd's story and I could now become Geronimo on that football field. And then I could disassociate from Todd's insecurities, which listen, like why some of us do the things that we do. And I'm not a therapist. I, I don't do that, but it's, there's some deep stuff that goes on with people and I am wholly ill-equipped for navigating that with people. There's other people that are better for that. That's why I have a whole host of world famous and phenomenal therapists that I'll send clients to, but I'm very good at helping people who can't just go into the sidelines of life, check out for the next three years while they get themselves perfect. I'm really good at helping them continue to navigate things. And instead of carry a big weight on their back, like this playfulness, this creative imagination just seems to lighten the load for people. And so I'm super close to it. It's, it's helped me navigate things and overcome things and, you know, continue to pursue some of my, you know, wants. And, um, I know that there's people out there that may, Hey, some people are doing it just out of pure playfulness. Like, and that's the beautiful thing about this idea. And the mindset is like, Hey, like you don't need to be overcoming deep trauma with this. There's other people who are struggling with stuff, but they have a lot to give other people. And if I can play a part in helping more great people get out into the world with more of their goodness, then I think that's a pretty worthwhile endeavor for me to go and spend my life doing. Well, thank you, Todd. That's yeah, really moving uh, to hear that. And thank you for sharing and being open. I think uh, the more we really get into that, 
a connection with our story. Uh, I think, at least in my case, I went for years without really understanding why I did the things I did. I, I shared with you earlier, you know, my sister being uh, severely disabled, I grew up with that. It felt completely normal to me, and I was convinced it had no effect on me whatsoever. It was only a couple of years ago, I was scratched my head and I was like, well, it's quite a big thing. You know, it must have changed something. And then it all started to come out, and I realized this was a huge inspiration and driving force. And it could be kind of to see it sometimes. I, one of my clients, I'm always asking, like, do you actually know what your story is? Do you actually know, like, what, what chapters do you want to write in your legacy that kind of closes the loop with some of these chapters which were earlier in your life that are important to you? Yeah. And, you know, like, along with that, you know, through that process of like helping people and even in the method that I talk about with the alter ego, you know, when you find that source code of inspiration, whoever that might be or whatever that might be, you know, Kobe did this brilliantly, frankly, like when we had come upon the black mamba, he knew more about, more about the black mamba snake than any biologist on the planet. Like he just went in and learned so much about it, its musculature and how it was built and, you know, how much venom he knew down to the ounce, like how much venom, you know, would be inside of a black mamba snake and all that. So when you're going back to the whole concept of the story, so I know my story, but I also know from where I come from, like the story of my ancestors and stuff. And, you know, my, on my mom's side, we have what's called the family Bible, which traces back our family history to, um, all the way back to about 1100 AD. And that's on the Scottish side that goes up into, uh, the North of Scotland to Robert the Bruce. And so then when you learn about your your ancestors, I think that helps to infuse you with even more richness and more beauty and more uh, purpose because someone's going to be reading about you at some point in time as well. And it would be a nice little kind of bullet point in their list to stop and go, oh, wow, Richard Medcalf, look at what he he went and did. That's That's cool. So that's a part of me because that bloodline runs through me. And I think it's a very, very powerful force for a lot of people when they can learn more about where they came from as well yeah fantastic well hey todd I, we could talk for i'm sure hours on this stuff um time's flying and we've almost not scratched the surface um but uh, for sake of time perhaps we can wrap it up what's yeah how can people get in touch with you uh find out about what you're up to because i know you've got many plates that you spin which are fascinating yeah so toddherman.me is kind of my home base on the internet and uh you can go there and you know all the different things that i'm involved in and programs and books and you know you'd mentioned software for people building coaching businesses and leading leadership businesses is there. And, uh, and then on Twitter, it's Todd underscore Herman and LinkedIn, you know, you'll find me. I'm the guy with the yellow background and glasses on my face. So <laughs> yeah, super Richard is still around and kicking. Yeah, that's great. And last question, Todd, like what, what's multiplying your impact going to look like? You know, if you were to do over the next few year, few years, if you were to do something which made everything else look like a footnote, what comes to mind? What would you love to create? Some, some, it might not even be something you're working on yet, but what, 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 what comes to mind? Yeah. Well, I, you would ask before about like, you know, why I do what I do. And when I sort of reflect on it, you know, basically my entire career in any business I've had has kind of been in the world of like human transformation in some way, whether it's been with athletes or, you know, leaders and CEOs or businesses and stuff. And so I am very excited about what we can do with our up coach platform. You know, it's the kind of thing that I wish I had when I was growing in these businesses, because sometimes the delivery side of, 
you know, working with clients, that's kind of the, the hardest part, the hardest nut to crack and making it simple and easy and consumable for our clients to get them their results. And so if I can, you know, get a uh, hundred thousand plus great coaches on there that are all serving maybe 50 clients or more, that's 5 million people that are being impacted. And those 5 million people that are all leaders being coached and mentored and advised to something better is going to impact another 50 million people. And so that's kind of, those are my numbers. That's how I'm working out my head. And so I'm excited about realizing that kind of dream is, is impacting the world of coaching. Cause I love it. I think it's a great opportunity to help people excel. I love it. I love the fact actually you have three numbers you multiply together there to actually figure out what the impact's going to be, which is, uh, which is a great way to end this episode of the Impact Multiplier podcast, right? Uh, we actually did some multiplication, which is uh, fantastic. Well, hey, Todd, it's been such fun talking to you. Really, um, it's been a pleasure. I've, you know, I've already we've woven some of you know your work into my own thinking and, and probably to my practice as well over time. So, um, thank you for being generous with your insights today and and in the book and and elsewhere. And uh, look forward to hearing the story continue. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the chance. Cheers. Take care now. Bye bye. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast, where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.